have to say. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. He's the reason why we're here today. It's good to see all of our guests today. It's good to see each and every one of you. Brother Stevens made a little testimony in Sunday school today that brought a thought to my mind about a man not finding satisfaction in wealth and things of this world. You know, when the, the Bible says the psalmist wrote, in the presence of the Lord there's fullness of joy. And that word fullness can be translated as satisfied or satisfactory. And uh, as, as much as I enjoy you guys, as much as I enjoy everybody here and being around like-minded people of God and people of faith, that's not satisfactory joy because we all have our own problems, our own worries, our own anxieties that we bring with us when we come. There's only satisfying joy in the presence of God. So today, we want to get into that presence of God. So if you can, for just a few minutes today, if we can, if we can lay aside all the worries we have, any anxieties we have, any doubts we have about anything, illnesses that are on our mind, our neighbors, our, our loved ones that we care about, and try to get into that presence of God, because that's where the fullness of joy is. And that's where I want to be today, is in the presence of God, because I, I need that joy. I need that, I need that God's joy that only He can give me today, and that's where we're going to get it today. So, Brother Isaac, if you would get us, get ready to take up an offering in tithes, we're going to sing unto the Lord. We're going to worship Him. We're going to forget about all of our troubles. We're going to forget about all those things, and we're going to step into the presence of God, and we're going to have our hearts restored and joy replenished, and see how it goes from there. It's going to, it'll go great from there. It'll go great from there. Praise the Lord. The musicians are ready. Let's give God one more round of thanks. Let's worship Him. Let's enter into God.
Praise the Lord. What a beautiful presence of the Lord is in this place today. Seeking the Lord as you did earlier, praying and trusting Him in your prayers, and now worshiping and praising Him in song. These are all good things in God's sight. Amen. You'll never go wrong taking time to come to church and collectively together lifting up a God who is worthy of everything that we have. Amen. What a, what a delight. Uh, I'll keep this short. We appreciate Brother and Sister Martin so much. And I, uh, we heard a great, great thought this morning. And um, thinking about revelations and the great multitude that were unable to be numbered, standing around the throne. And then all of a sudden, Brother Martin called out Lazarus because God knows your name. Can you imagine among the multitudes that they'll have God know your name? That is truly remarkable. And I'm so thankful for that word today. Uh, but we want Brother Martin to come back. And um, he likes being at a podium like this. And so I said, we'll take you any way we can get you. Amen. Brother Martin, come and God bless you. Appreciate you and your good wife. We hope to hear from Sister Martin even, if that's possible. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. Uh, we'll have my wife come up here in a minute. I um, want to testify just, I don't give her a whole lot of time to prepare, see, so she doesn't make me look bad when she gets up here. But uh, that last song we sang about covenant-keeping God. Uh, here again, I think don't think we realize the, the depth of that idea of, a covenant with God. Amen. You see, a covenant is a binding contract between you and God. Amen. And uh, one night, it's, it's so cool when God wakes you up in the middle of the night. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. And he speaks something into your head. And uh, one night we were in Tennessee and, and um, I was laying in bed and, and God reminded me. We've got three girls that are in their... 30s, and uh, two of them are married, and one of them uh, still living at home, but, but uh, how good God has been to us, because uh, our kids may not be perfect, but they're all in church, they're all serving the Lord, uh, the two that are married are married to uh, preachers, to ministers, and my oldest, who is still living at home, has uh, done three uh, tours as an aimer. Overseas, so I've just been totally blessed. My family has been blessed, and I don't know why. Okay, and I testified the other night that it's not because of my parenting skills, but as I laid in bed that night, I almost so clearly that that the Lord said, "The reason that you are blessed, that your children are blessed, and your wife is blessed, is because my mother-in-law's name is Brenda." Okay. And here, the name thing, right? He says, the reason that your children are blessed and your wife is blessed is because I've got a covenant with Brenda. That's what he said. He didn't say your mother-in-law. He said Brenda, okay? So dummy me would know exactly who he was talking about, okay? And so I got so excited because that, to me, it was like just a privilege that God would speak that into my head. And so I got so excited. My wife is, is laying there. She's dead asleep. Of course, she sleeps like a dead person anyway. Okay? 
and I, I woke her up. I shook her until she woke up, and I said, Dear, I said, the Lord has a covenant with your mom. And she goes, I know. And she rolled back over and went back to sleep. But if we could just get the idea in our head that God has a covenant with us. God is bound by His own Word. He's no respecter of persons. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Amen. God is faithful whether we are or not. Hallelujah. Maybe we ought to get back to covenants. Amen. Dear, would you come and testify? Amen. Hallelujah. You can use my notes if you want. and I'll just go ahead and sit down. Amen. I'll even turn it to the right one. Hallelujah. I don't need any notes. I just know that God truly has made a covenant with me. And if it were not for the Lord, where would I be? When I think of where God found my mother. And if she hadn't turned her life over to him where we would be. And the one thing that I can always say, you know, people say, you know, what did you do? What did you do? And I said, I just did what my mama did. My mama taught me to love Jesus. She just loves him with all her heart. It doesn't matter what life does, because life is going to be life. If we were, if we had a perfect life and had everything great, why would we even want to go to heaven? But she loved God through this mundane and sometimes hard life she loved him raised three kids on her own and just loved the lord and she gave that to me just the love of jesus if we give our children anything else give them the love of jesus and you know the love of jesus is not bad mouthing our family church family at home it's not bad mouthing our pastor at home it's loving them with all their faults and failures because you know what we're all human we're all going to have faults and failures. We're not going to do it just like you thought, think it ought to be done. But God, if we just love him, we pray for them and love them back, life just gets better and better. And I just love my Jesus. And I want to give that to my grandchildren now. That song, The Blessing, I didn't like it when I first saw it. saw them doing it on the video, and I thought, yeah, I'm not sure I like this song. But the more I listen to it. The blessing that God gave us is not just for us. It's for your family and your family's family and their children and their children. And every time I sing that song, I just hold on to that covenant that God gave me as a child. When I received the Holy Ghost the first time at five years of age, I had it 51 years. And it's the best thing that God ever did for me in my life is to fill me with his spirit and his power. And we got to get that to our kids, and we got to get it to them early. we got to grow our Sunday school. That is the future of our church. It's the future of our world. And reaching them is our children. Praise the Lord. Let's stand and worship Him right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise. Hallelujah. Glory be to the Most High God. Hallelujah. Come on. Let's praise Him just a little bit this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. and While you're turning to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, uh, we'll see. I love these, these screen things. And uh, in Tennessee, we had one that was right directly behind the pulpit, uh, similar to that, and it, it came down, and, and I remember one time, 
I told the guy in the sound room, I said, now, I gave him the title of my, my message, and I said, now, don't put it up until I get done with my scripture, okay? And so, of course, I'm reading my scripture, and all of a sudden, I kind of hear some chatter uh, throughout the uh, congregation, all two of them, uh, but I finally turned around after I was done, and I looked, and he had the name up of my message, which was shut up. <laughs> and so, you know, it's a double-edged sword, folks, and it's good, and it can be bad, but uh, thank you, thank you. Second Chronicles chapter 7, beginning at verse 11. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house he prosperously effected. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. Then verse 13, it says, If I shut up heaven that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among the people, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes are opened and my ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. Let's all pray together. Dear God, I praise you and I thank you. I exalt you, God, hallelujah, because you are the mighty God. You are sovereign in all your ways, God, hallelujah. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise today, hallelujah. Amen. We praise you, we praise you, we praise you, God, hallelujah, for your word. We praise you for the Holy Ghost. We praise you for truth. We praise you, God, for a sovereign move, hallelujah, in our community. We praise you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. We praise you, God, hallelujah, for every individual that's hungry and thirsty for righteousness. We praise you, God, hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's put our hands together one more time, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. I'm not going to hold you long this morning, and I want to apologize uh, for, uh, I spend a lot of time inside my own head, okay? Uh, I'm not really an outgoing people person, so that's where I spend most of my time inside my own head, and uh, so sometimes it, sometimes it gets kind of lonely in there, um, but nevertheless, the Lord, you know, is good, and, and He's He's taken me from a long way off, and here I am today. But I want to talk to you this morning about what if, okay? If is the biggest and the smallest word in the English language, right? It's one of the smallest words uh, in the English language, and the word is used in our English dictionary, and I'm not much on, on English, uh, at least not real English. But it's used in the English dictionary as both a conjunction, whatever that is, and a noun, okay? Among the definitions included in the, uh, is the idea of in case of, 
supposing that on condition of an uncertain possibility, a requirement or a stipulation. Okay, it could be any one of those or all of them. So the word if holds the idea that something may or may not happen based on certain conditions. One of the smallest words then can indicate something really great, right? Or it could also represent something really bad. Something positive or something negative, something productive or something that is a huge waste of time and energy. And when it comes to the promises of God, they are almost always conditional. Okay, I remember the first time uh, I had a, a friend from high school that, that we kind of, after we graduated, this happens, we kind of went our separate ways, of course, and, and over a few years we reconnected, and, and he had uh, kind of committed his life to Christ, and and went to a different kind of church, and of course I was uh, a newly minted Pentecostal uh, convert, and so in my zealous nature, I, I thought to convert him to my way of thinking, and when we got together at his house, we kind of got into a, I wouldn't say it was an argument, it was just a disagreement, and, and he suggested that, that there was no conditions on God's promises, Okay? And not to be outdone, I said, well, that's not necessarily true. Because there are some things in the Word of God that are conditional. Because He says, if you do this, I'll do that. Okay? So, in a sense, we were both right, but we walked away. We're still friends. He pastors a church in uh, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, that area. Amen. And uh, uh, But... That always stayed with me, that, that idea that God is faithful, God is respectful, He's no respecter of persons, but there's that big word if that always looms in front of us, amen? Praise God. Now, when it comes to the promises of God, they are almost all conditional, okay? About the only thing I see unconditional about God and His promises is that He loves us no matter what we do or what we don't do. His love is unconditional, okay? Just about everything else in our relationship with God is based on that little word, if, all right? So I've come up with, since I spend a lot of time in my head, I play a lot of mind games sometimes, amen? And so I don't know if you're familiar with the what-if game, okay? Uh, Personally, I, I, I like to play the mind game, what if I ruled the world? Have you ever played that one? If I ruled the world, it would be definitely a different place, okay? One thing that I would make sure that I would take care of very quickly is if you're in a grocery store and you go through the express lane with more than 12 items, you're out of there, okay? I rule with a mighty hand in my world, okay? Or if you don't go at least the speed limit on the road, pull it over. See, I always win when I play the game. Now, I mean, in your mind, you imagine how your life would have turned out if you would have been somewhere else and made different 
decisions? Have you ever, you know, everybody's so busy, we don't, uh, we don't think a whole lot of how our life would have turned out differently, you know, with a couple different decisions. How your life would be right now if you had taken a different path. You know, the times when you could look back and imagine what would happen if you had said yes instead of no. Things that at the time didn't seem to mean that much, but now would have made your life completely transformed. Okay? Let's look at it this way. And this, I'm going to say this for myself. You can, you can play this in your own head if you want to. What if I would have married someone else? What if I didn't get married at all? What if I would have gone to a different school or quit school or got more school? What if I had gotten a, a different job, right? When I was 18, I got a job in the factory. It was an asbestos factory. They made brake linings and uh, brake shoes and stuff like that. And, and so, you know, back then... People were stupid about what asbestos did to you and, and, you know, breathing it all in and everything. But nevertheless, you know, I realized that if I had not gotten that job, I would have never met a young woman by the name of Prudy Shum, who was a backslidden Pentecostal. She was actually a lesbian. I hate to say that in church, but, but nevertheless, she, she was a backslidden Pentecostal. And I was standing in the smoking area that day. By the way, just point of reference, I started smoking when I was nine. Amen. And I always said I could quit any time I wanted to. But the big lie was I stood there and I realized that these things had control of my life. And as I was standing in the smoking area, Prudy was standing there next to me. And I said, man, I just, I wish I could get rid of these. You know, I'm breathing in asbestos every day and, and the smoke and all that. And and, uh, of course, I was doing other things that I probably shouldn't have been doing. And, and she looked at me and she said, Speedy, that's what they called me back then. She said, Speedy, what you need is the Holy Ghost. And I thought to myself, you know, Mom and Dad made me go to church all my life. We went and I sat in the back row with Danny Swihart. We played tic-tac-toe until church was over. And I knew everything about church that I needed to know, and I said, yeah, I know. But then a friend of mine who got the Holy Ghost in our department, he, he was a drug dealer. He had hair down to the middle of his back, and if he blinked at more than three times a day, you knew he wasn't on drugs on that particular day. But he decided to invite me to a Pentecostal church. And I'll make a long story short, amen, I, I got baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'm glad, now I'm glad that I went to that ugly, dirty asbestos factory because without it, I wouldn't be standing here today, amen? What if I hadn't taken the first sip or the first hit or the first pill? What if I would have gone somewhere else instead of going to church? We could do this all day long, right? It would not change anything up to now. I mean, coulda, shoulda, woulda, right? We are where we are right now because we decide on which side of if we want to be at any given moment. Amen? I don't think that God 
got anybody up out of bed this morning and put their clothes on them and pushed them out the door, amen, with a cup of coffee and got you in your car and turned the car on and pushed your foot down on the gas pedal, amen, and drove you to church and set you down in the pew, amen. The reason that you're here this morning is that you thought maybe you could get something from God this morning. It was your decision. It was, you know... I could have gone to Cracker Barrel this morning. I could have gone, amen, a lot of places, amen. But I decided to go to the house of God, amen. Praise God. Let's face it, the Bible could have been written very differently had people paid attention to that little word if. How about Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 and 7? You don't have to look it up. I'll read it to you. And it's probably on the screen, see? And the Lord said to Cain, why are thou wroth, okay, they had sacrifices, bring your sacrifice, right, and he brought the fruit of the ground, okay, Abel brought the fruit of the firstlings of the flock, right, and so he got jealous, he got mad, amen, and God says, why are you angry, why is your countenance fallen, he said in verse 7, if thou doest well. Obedience is always your choice. And disobedience is always your choice. Amen. Everything in the power of, of your relationship with God, amen, squarely rests with us, not with God. God is always faithful. God is always there. God is always the same. We're the one changing. Hallelujah. But he says, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well... Sin lies at the door, and unto thee shall his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Amen. Hallelujah. How about Abraham and Lot? Genesis chapter 13, right? They were faced with a dilemma. They all had all this stuff. They had cattle. They had sheep. They had goats. And, and the land could not contain them, the pasture, right? And... So Abraham said to Lot, he says, let there be no strife between us, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. So let's all get along. We are the world, right? Is not the whole land before thee? Separate yourself, I pray thee, from me. And then he says, if thou wilt take the left hand, I'll go to the right. And if thou depart to the right, then I'll go to the left. Now, what if Abraham would have zigged instead of zagged? You ever think about stuff? Like I said, folks, I spend a lot of time in my own head. Okay? You may have never thought about that, but what if Abraham would have went and looked at the well-watered plains of, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah? And Lot went the other direction. But the Bible says, amen, that Lot looked over and saw the well-watered plains, and he says, I'm going over there, all right? And Abraham says, okay, see you later, okay? Amen. The possibilities are endless, folks. Practically everything in the Bible could be rewritten if someone would have paid attention to that little big word, if. What if Lot's wife wouldn't have looked back? What if Noah wouldn't have built the ark? I know I'm going to extremes here, but you got to understand that's how simple life is. 
It's a series of decisions, conscious decisions, or whether I'm going to do this or whether I'm going to do that. What if Noah said, oh, Lord, I think I'll pass on the ark? Or if he built it out of a different kind of wood or only pitched it on the outside, right? We have our ideas of how to do it better than God, right? Don't need it on the inside, right? Or even, you know, maybe painted a racing stripe on it. That would have been cool, right? I don't know whether God would have let him do that or not. What if Joseph would have put all his brothers in jail or killed them when they came to Egypt for food? If anybody had a right to exact some vengeance, it would have been Joseph, especially on his brothers, right? Amen. Be careful if you have a brother that you picked on your whole life. Amen. Or what would have happened if Joseph would have said yes to Potiphar's wife? That would have changed the picture a little bit, wouldn't it? What if Moses' mom decided not to put her infant son in the river where Pharaoh's daughter would have found him? What if Moses had never killed the Egyptian? Right? What if Joshua had only marched around Jericho six times? Right? Instead of seven. What if Samson had been obedient to his parents? Ouch. Children. What if King Saul had just killed Agag and the Amalekites and their animals like he was supposed to. Amen? Jerusalem might even be called the city of Saul instead of the city of David. You see, the possibilities are endless. What if Jesse had never sent his youngest son David out to the battlefield with a few loaves for his brothers? What if David had left his sling at the house instead of putting it in his pouch? That would have been me. Right? Always losing my keys or my phone or my iPad. Yeah, United Airlines has my iPad right now because of that. What if David hadn't killed Goliath? What if Solomon had said no to 299 of his wives and all of his girlfriends? What if Elijah had never showed up on Mount Carmel? What if Naaman had never dipped in the River Jordan? What if John the Baptist really didn't feel like baptizing anybody? What if Joseph had put Mary away instead of marrying her? Right? What if the lame man's friends described it was too much work to get their friend down through the roof to Jesus? Come on. Right? They had to tear the roof off. Brother Erickson would have had to fix it. When they were done. But can you imagine that? They were so dedicated and committed to the healing of their friend, amen, that they did, amen, the highly improbable thing of tearing the roof off just to get him down into the presence of Jesus. What if they said, nah, I don't think so. What if the woman with the issue of blood decided there were way too many people around Jesus that day? That would have been me, Right? Because I don't like I don't like Six Flags. I don't like anything more than a handful of people. I'm just not a people person. Amen. And I can just see if that was me, I'd say, no, not today, Jesus. Right? What if the blind man would have just shut up 
instead of crying out to Jesus. And that's what they told him, just shut up. Just be quiet. Jesus is busy. He's, he's on his way to somewhere. He doesn't need you to stop him, right? What if Peter would have preferred fishing to preaching? Okay, that's, that's logical, right? To some men, that's very logical. What if Paul had decided that being religious was more important than preaching the truth? So the bottom line is this. There are some things that will never come into our life if we don't do what God wants us to do. Amen? Let's get back to Solomon real quick. I'm just about done. Hallelujah. Here we got the wisest guy that ever lived, right? He's living the good life and peace and prosperity. I don't think he had to fight for anything, right? David was a man of war. His very name meant peace, right? Never had to fight for any territory. Never had to probably lift up a sword unless it was some ceremony or something. Amen. Never had to fight for an inch of ground. He, he had everything that God could possibly bless him with. Amen. He built the first temple of God. And not just any temple. The Bible describes it as being magnificent. Right? It was perhaps even one of the wonders of the world back then. But from chapter 3 through chapter 6, everything is planned and plotted. Okay? He gets all this stuff, and he starts putting it together, right? The cedar and the gold and the silver and the curtains and the Ark of the Covenant is in its place. The singers are singing. The, the musicians are playing. The priests and the Levites are lining up the sacrifices. Solomon's decked out in his robe and in his crown, and, and they got a scaffold. Amen? You got a scaffold. You need to put that thing up so you can use it, right? Amen. A scaffold is ready for the king to speak from. And Solomon begins to pray, right? And the whole chapter of 2 Chronicles 6 is his prayer. But about halfway through, Solomon starts praying the what-if prayer, okay? Starting at verse 22 down through verse 40, it begins by saying, If a man sin against his neighbor. Verse 24 says, And if thy people Israel be put worse, put the worst before the enemy. Verse 26, Yet if they pray toward this place. Verse 28, If there be dearth in the land, if there be pestilence, if there be blasting, or mildew, locusts, or caterpillars, if their enemies besiege them in the cities of their land, Whatsoever sore, whatsoever sickness there be. Verse 34 says, If thy people go out to war against their enemy, by the way, that thou shalt, uh, that thou shalt and send them. Verse 36, If they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not. Verse 37, Yet if they bethink themselves, in the NET it says, Come to their senses. That's a big if. If the people come to their senses, hello, 2023. If they bethink themselves of the land, whether they are carried captive and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity. 
Verse 38, if they return to thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, whether they have carried them captives and pray toward their land, you see, Solomon begins to present a scenario to his people that says, if this happens, what are you going to do? If these circumstances come to God's people, the decision or the results or the consequences are not necessarily all in God's hands. You know, we something happens to us and we say, well, we ought to make say, oh, it's God's will. Right? Have you ever heard anybody say that? It's God's will. Well, not necessarily so, folks. Because, you see, God always places the responsibility of the direction from that point on squarely in our path. If this happens, what are you going to do? If this happens, have you prayed about it? Are you seeking God for an answer? Or are you just going on and, and hoping everything works out? Amen? But 11 times in this prayer, Solomon says to God, what if? And then I put, all my notes, parentheses, or is God saying what if with Solomon's mouth? You get that? God was speaking through Solomon to us, to them, right? You see, at this point in time, the only thing on Solomon's mind is the presence of God. He wants God to bless. He wants God to inhabit the, te the temple that they built. He wants him to fill it with his glory. He wants him to show the world who he is and what he can do. Solomon wanted revival. But God said, hold on, Solomon. I'll give you what you want, but you need to understand that there's this what-if thing. Because, you know, we want revival, but a lot of times we want revival on our own terms, not what God wants. Amen? Yeah, we want revival without prayer and fasting. Amen? We want prayer. We want revival without praise and worship. Amen? We want prayer. Uh, we want revival without the preacher standing up there preaching for 4,500 minutes. Amen? I would have said it before, but I'll say it since it fits right now. If you want revival, you need to understand this. And I'm no revivalist, so don't think that I know what I'm talking about. But I think in this case, I'm pretty close. Revival, I don't believe revival ever starts in the pulpit. Because, Brother Erickson, you can preach your guts out. You can study till your, uh, your eyes fall out. He can do everything in his, his physical and mental power to preach you the truth and the Word of God, and you just sit there going. You can have the best pastor, the best preacher, the best evangelist. You can have Jeff Arnold come here and preach till he, he can't stand up anymore. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have revival. So revival doesn't start in the pulpit, and you know what? Revival doesn't start in the pews. Now you say, I'm confused. So if it don't start there and it don't start there, where does it start? Right here, folks. Right here. Revival always starts at an at a altar of sacrifice. 
When you decide whether you're going to repent, if you decide you're going to seek God, you need to find yourself an altar. You need to find yourself a place of prayer. Close yourself in and say, God, I want this more than anything. Amen. It doesn't matter how good or how bad my pastor preaches. It doesn't matter what my neighbor says about me. It doesn't matter how big or how small my church building is. It doesn't matter how big or how small my city is. Amen. I'm going to dedicate myself to the altar until God moves. Hallelujah. See, he wants to show the world who he is and what he can do. Solomon wants revival. I want revival. You want revival. And this is what happened in 2 Chronicles 7, 1 through 3. Now, when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. You say, well, that was Old Testament. That was Solomon. He was Jewish. Let me, let, me, let me tell you, folks, I'm firmly convinced, and I ain't nobody, that if God would do it for Solomon, he'll do it for me. And if he do it for Solomon, he'll do it for you. Amen. God is no respecter of persons regardless of who you are or where you've been or what you know or what you don't know. Amen. He simply wants somebody, amen, that is willing to seek his face, to turn from their wicked ways, Amen, and he's willing, amen, to enter into a covenant with you, amen. And it says in verse 2, And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good for his mercy endureth forever amen let's praise him right now hallelujah 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 if the music would come please hallelujah and play softly we're just about done hallelujah thank come on church let's seek him just for a moment hallelujah there's time hallelujah lunch will be there when we get there amen the main thing is we got to say god hallelujah i'm gonna do what i need to do so that you can do what you want to do hallelujah come on let's praise him just a little bit more hallelujah thank you jesus thank you lord hallelujah hallelujah come on church hallelujah in jesus name he's looking for a people who are willing to seek him and sacrifice for him and do it until he answers by fire or by water or however he wants to do it hallelujah lord we're here for you Hallelujah, hallelujah. You're not here for us. We're here for you. Thank you, Jesus. You see, revival is conditional. God does not owe us revival. He promises us revival, but he doesn't owe us revival talked about it earlier a little bit in the other session about the revival going on in Asbury in Kentucky you see the only reason that that has happened is because some students want to stay a little bit longer now maybe they wanted to cut class maybe they had perhaps 
some other motives involved. But I kind of believe that a group of students were just hungry enough to God to do a little bit more. You see, God doesn't make us jump through hoops to get revival. He just wants to take what we've got and multiply. Kind of like the fishes in the loaves. God don't need a whole lot to work with, obviously. God doesn't need numbers. God doesn't need money. God doesn't need power or authority. He's got all that. All he's looking for someone to seek his face. To turn from their wickedness. To repent. And then he says, okay, I got this. If you do that, I'll do this. Hallelujah. Healing is conditional. Cleansing is conditional. Protection and provision is conditional. Restoration, deliverance is conditional. Don't expect God to do what you need Him to do if you won't do what you're supposed to do. One more time, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. I think we ought to have a burn in our brains. If my people conditional it's a choice I can do it if I want to I can walk away I can do something else I can do anything I want I'm an adult if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray prayer is always conditional prayer is so foreign Prayer is so foreign to our human flesh. That's why they call it a discipline. You've got to make your flesh pray. Right? That's why prayer meetings, more people catch up on their sleep in prayer meetings than another, other, any other activity that they do. Right? Don't feel bad. It happened to the disciples, right? And if they seek my face, and if they turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will I and will forgive their sins, and will heal their land. Now, I'm into simplicity, right? Kiss, keep it simple, stupid, right? That's what kiss stands for. They teach you that in Bible college, right? Four things that we've got to happen before God will send revival and His glory and His healing. Not a 12-step program. Pretty straightforward. According to 2 Chronicles 7.14, the first thing you need to do is humble yourself. We got way too much pride. Okay? How much time do I got? I went short this morning, so I'm going to take advantage of it now, okay? Anyway, without making it too complicated, folks, nothing wrong with it. I'm not arguing. I'm not criticizing. But we don't even really know the difference between worship and praise. By definition, worship literally means to bow down, okay? you think, well, that's no big deal. That's just semantics. That's just terminology. No, it's not. 
do a word study on worship. When you bow down, God honors that because he sees that you are humbling yourself. You are making yourself lower. You are volunt- It's a conscious decision. I will bow down before God. Right? Praise means lifting up. So before we can practice, uh, we like praise, don't we? We get all excited about that. We're jumping and shouting and screaming. And, but I believe this, Brother Erickson. I said, I think to myself, we really can't offer God true praise until we experience true worship. God didn't say, let's see, how does that scripture go? And my people, give it to me, man. True worshipers. True worshipers. Time comes and now is that, okay. He's looking for true worshipers, not true praisers. Are you with me? I know I just butchered that up, but stay with me. God's not looking for somebody that can jump and shout and sing and shout and all that stuff. He wants to see before that, he wants to see some true worshipers. He wants to see some bending knees. Amen at the altar. All right. Humble yourselves. Number two, pray, pray, and pray some more. Number three, seek God's face. How do you do that? Pray, pray, pray some more. And then it says, number four, turn from our wicked ways. Quit doing what you're doing. Quit doing what God will forgive us. He and, he and He does. But He's also waiting for us to quit the stupid things that we're doing that separate us from Him. Okay, go ahead and stand. I'm going to wrap this up real quick. And I'm going to turn it over to your good pastor. Now, these are things nine. I ain't a very intelligent guy. But I do, do know a few things. If you go to the altar, God will meet you there. If you seek Him, really seek Him, you're going to find Him. If you pray, God will hear you. If you repent and be baptized in Jesus' name, God will cleanse you of all your sins. If you ask Him, He will give you the Holy Ghost. If you are faithful, you will receive righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost and comfort and eternal fellowship with Him. Now, folks, I believe with all my heart that every one of you want revival. Okay? It's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen because God didn't have anywhere else to go on that particular day. Amen. It's not like you guys were the last ones in line and nobody else wanted it. Amen. But if you really want revival, what you need to do, what I need to do, what everyone that really wants revival, we need to find a place 
and meet God in that place and be faithful to that God and faithful to our pastor and faithful to the other saints of God and faithful to the house of God. And you know what? I am confident that God is not just going to give Asbury, Kentucky revival. Imagine buses pulling in the parking lot. Buses, not just school buses, buses, buses. People driving six and a half hours just to be in one service. You say, well, that, that'll never happen. Why not? Why not? The only condition is you seek God. going to do. As the music plays, I'm going to turn this over to your pastor. Amen. Let's just begin to praise him right now. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Pentecostals get good at remembering part of the scripture. But let me just challenge you today. Put a what if in front of every one of the things you know about God. That's not questioning God. It's the Lord simply making an avenue of faith for you to step out and do this God's way and watch God anoint your life. Amen. I want to open this service. Come and pray. Let's take a few minutes today and uh, seek the Lord. Truly humble yourself. Call upon the Lord. Pray today. Give God a chance in your life. We're not in competition with anyone else here. Just you and the Lord. This covenant that you're building with Him. Amen. And may God richly bless those who find Him. Amen. Those who make their way further than just the entrance door. Oh, God, and find that place in you today.
years ago, my wife and I were moved by my company to another city that we'd never lived before. It was down south, and so you might say it was a super Bible Belt area. There were probably a dozen United Pentecostal churches we could have gone to. And we felt like that we should, you know, check them out and seek the Lord and try to find out where we fit in. And I remember going to a couple of the larger churches that were, you know, numerically far bigger than I'd ever been a part of. And I, I had people come up to us and, of course, people were very kind, but they came up to us with their business cards that they had created for their different departments. And they, uh, the strength of the church had become that they would lead that place and, and uh, they had different groups making and doing different parts and aspects of the church work. And uh, it was kind of like have to choose which group within the whole that you want to be a part of. And uh, anyways, we, we ended up in a smaller church. And uh, maybe it's because of the way I was raised in this truth that may be part of it. Maybe I didn't know how to take advantage of a larger congregation. Maybe that's true. But we desired together with a church that was going in one direction and wanted revival, wanted growth, wanted Bible studies and spiritual growth. And I latched on to that one heart. It was so important to me that we could that we could tap into uh, being able to be a part of a whole. I, I wanted to love the man of God. I wanted to be faithful and be the best I could be. I, I wanted to be faithful to the, to the saints that were there. I wanted wanted to be woven into the whole. And I, I'm not telling you small is better than big. I, I don't mean to imply that. I'm just telling you, man, have yourself where you can get involved in the very vision of the church, where, where you can be a part of the very heartbeat and the, and the marching cadence every day as you meet together, you're going somewhere, as you're looking, you're shooting for something. Feel God approving and anointing it and blessing it. There's no greater place to be in the kingdom of God than to feel like you are a part of the whole. And I, I want that here. And I know that you do too. It's thank God for each of you for your talents and each of us have things we can do. Thank God for that. But even far more important thing is what we can do together come into the house of the Lord, we, we respond to the, to the Holy Ghost. We, we listen to the Word, we have a hunger for truth, and we, and we have a, the ability to take the Word of God and apply it to our life and go out of here and, and see that Word manifested through our lives. That's what I want. I hope that that's your, your aspiration, your dream also, because I, I want I want the will of God to be done. And I and, and I'm not telling you people in other larger churches couldn't have it. I'm just telling you, I I guess I just wasn't raised to understand the value of that. But I do know what it means today. There may
maybe only 30 or 35 of us here, but I guarantee you we had one mission today. We, we had one man of God to be able to minister the word today. And we had one heartbeat to receive that word. And I, I love that. God bless you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day today. Um, can I anything you like? Big hands. Yeah, that's it. Um, remember, boys and I, we're going to have a great time in church. Uh, remember, this coming Friday, Thursday will be our business meeting at 7 p.m. here. And uh, we want to take care of church business and get that done. And then Friday is, thank you very much. What time is that? Yes. And I uh, hope that you'll come and, and remember, I was on the edge again. I'm confessing this. It was just by the Lord being kind to us that I said, Elaine, we have prayers, man. So uh, we're working on trying to learn our lesson about Fridays being our new prayer night and uh, be here for that. But we had a great time in the Lord, I'll tell you. The Lord blessed here Friday nights, and I want to encourage you to be a part of that. You'll love it. Amen. Well, God bless you. Let Brother and Sister Barton know how much you appreciate them. Let Brother and Sister Stevens know how much you appreciate them. And, and then church family, just love on each other, hug each other, and have a great day today. Hey, folks, let me just have your attention one more time. Brother Martin has created two books that he, that he has here. They're out in the vestibule. They're $15 a book, which is a very fair price today. And they are all um, thoughts in the Word of God, scripturally based. And um, if you ever are going to teach like a group setting, cell group, if you're ever going to preach, if you're ever going to impact your children or your family, I, I've, I haven't read them all. I just got them yesterday. But I've read a couple of the messages that are in it, and I'm telling you, you could use it for your family. You could use it for your friends on your job. Um, you don't have to be behind a pulpit to use that. And I want to encourage you, go take a look at them and see if it isn't like I say. It's very easy to receive, and I love and appreciate the way Brother Martin gave us the simplicity of the word today. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We love and appreciate you.